Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dune Wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of John Arisi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. We are the only wrestling podcast that brings you back 30 years with vintage audio featuring some of the biggest names of that time. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight covered all the news stories and breaking developments that happened in real time, and now we get to relive those moments right here on this podcast. Today, we will get back to regular format, reviewing the shows from 1993 and we have a good one for you today as we go back to may 8th 1993 with special guest ron scholar the visionary and architect of bringing AAA of mexico to the united states in 1993 which resulted in the invasion of lucha libre to california resulting in record-breaking gates during a downtime in wrestling that year but first, I want to let you know all about our Patreon page. And as our patrons know, uh, we have tons of content up there. And I want to thank all the new members that have joined over the last couple of weeks, uh, especially those from the UK who uh, seem to have found the Patreon page. So uh, $5 a month gets you in the door. And for that $5 a month, you'll get all the archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight dating back to 1989 and even earlier. And if you want to increase your level, we have uh, levels at $10 a month, $25 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month. And each level gives you more exclusive content and opportunities like appearances on this show, uh, eight millimeter films that I shot as a kid back at Madison Square Garden, vintage audio, vintage video. So uh, why don't you just go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And I'm sure you will be very satisfied with the content you get on our Patreon page. I also uh, want to apologize for being kind of out of action the last couple of weeks. We did uh, give you some best of shows and we had been attempting to uh, put together a reunion show with those 1989 uh, core folks who were on Pro Wrestling Spotlight for a long time, and we did make an attempt to do that. And I'm going to bring Marsh on so we could talk about that before we bring our special guest on. Marsh, how you doing? Hey, John. I'm doing pretty good. You are out west yourself. Yep, yep, yep. I know you attended some wrestling out there. You're also now visiting family. So uh, you saw, what, a women's uh, Japanese wrestling show? 
Well, it was MJPW strong, so it wasn't just the women. Uh, but that was the one that had the tournament where Mercedes Monet was going for the NJPW strong women's championship. It was the debut, the inaugural champion, and she caught like an injury right at the end, and uh, Willow Did ended she? up getting it. Yeah, it was a real injury. We were we were pretty worried about when it happened. Yeah. What happened? What, what was it a move or what? She, what did she do? It looked like she jumped from the top to the outside to perform a move onto Willow, and then mm -hmm. she just kind of laid down there for a bit longer than we thought. We're like, did she hurt her ankle or her knee or something? She kind of rolled in. The finish was like slow. Like there was a lot of talking happening. Then the ref was trying to protect the the finish and didn't get, do the count. And then you could just see her talking to the ref a bunch, like, hey. This is it. And so they're like, well, now we're, what do we do? So she basically is like, well, give me another gut wrench power bomb. Does that. And then this time the ref was like, really didn't want to count to three again. And she was like, still talking to him, like, count. Mm -hmm. And then he did the three count, Willow one. And she was like, get me out of here. So wow. it was kind of wild to see it in, in play. And I kept watching her talk. And I was like, she's trying to tell them that she's calling an audible. Yeah. One way or another, whether this isn't the meant finish or whether she was supposed to win or not, I don't know. But, the referee did not want it to end in that moment, and it was tough. Wow, interesting stuff. But um, I know that you enjoy going to these shows when you're yeah. out and about, and it was really fun. Um, yeah, I'm sure sure it is. You're out in the West. I just got back from Florida. Uh, for the last several weeks, we were attempting to put together a reunion show uh, with Broadway Sunny Blaze, Donnie Liable, the Power Twins, oh, yeah. and and Bruce Jacobs, and we finally got everybody together. Well, Bruce couldn't make it; uh, he had taken a new job out in Arizona, so he couldn't be there. But we tried our hardest, <laughs> and I have to say, it was a clusterfuck of uh, of, uh, of of something I I have not experienced before. It. <laughs> It was uniquely John Arezzi to see so well, many mistakes. I mean. <laughs> the technical difficulties that surround your shows, John. It's amazing. Well, it wasn't even our fault. It was like the it twins wasn't. couldn't get it together. They were in Vegas. Yeah. I asked them about 20 times, are you in the same room? One was on a phone. The other seemed to be on a on an iPad or something. They yeah. didn't have they weren't even hardly on camera. They were talking to each other. They weren't talking to us. Uh, and Broadway, you know, Sonny Blaze and Donnie, you know, we had some good conversation. We were trying to bring and then they cut themselves off and then they tried in the middle of it to bring themselves back. Try to come back. So I don't know what we're going to do with this. Uh, all, I, you know, we'll discuss it offline. I may put up a poll to our patrons. Do you want to see it as is? Or do you want us to try to edit it in some capacity or do we just shelve it? I don't know. Because I was not happy with it. Yeah, it was. It wasn't cohesive by any stretch of the imagination. No, because we had clips, mostly yeah. of the twins, with all of their insults and the way they were back in 1989, and uh, they didn't even hear any of them. I mean, no. it was just kind of <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. And you see the top of one's head, then you see another one upside down. You know, it's hilarious in its own way, but it's certainly not broadcast. Uh, ready and it's certainly it, it, <laughs> I, that's why i don't know what to do with it i don't know yeah I'm, I'm wondering do i just make a best of blooper clip for youtube or it, something or it could be a know. five or ten minute blooper whatever i don't know but i'm gonna put up a poll and if the patrons want it we may just say here you go 
But it, it, but if they demand it, they cannot complain about it. They, that's right. <laughs> if you patrons watching this want this, this travesty of a uh, of a show, because I'm not going to do it again with them. I can't. Not unless it's live in person. That's the only way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't way. even know if I want to see them again in person. Anymore. <laughs> to put like glass between you two. Uh, it was just, I, I, you know, I, I was thinking about it after we got done. I was just out of my mind, like frustrated. But uh, anyway, that's what we tried to do. I was in Florida also. And so the last few weeks we've had best ofs, which was really going to lead up to the reunion show. Because yeah. we had, a, you know, four shows that really highlighted uh, 89 and 90 with the twins. And, you know, to try to. Uh, let people like laugh and then get ready for the reunion show where they'd laugh some more. These guys have not changed. They're still the same. They're just much older and they are as still as ridiculous as they ever have been. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that. But uh, today's going to be a special one. And we've been working on this for a while, Marsh and, and Ron, uh, we're going to bring Ron Scholar on in a sec, but uh, this is a guy who was just, uh, I used the word visionary, and he was. So before, um, uh, without any further ado, I should say, let's bring on direct from New York City, Mr. Ron Scholar. There he is. Ron, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Hello, Marsh. Hey, how's it going? I am so happy that you agreed to do this, because once this episode came about, and it was uh, when I heard it, and there you are in the studio, I was like, all right, let's try to get Ron to see if he'd come on and talk about what happened 30 years ago, and you had a little bit of a vacation in Puerto Rico, and now you're back, and here we are. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, you know inviting me on. I just don't know where the last 30 years went. They fly by, man. I tell you, they do. They do. And you're still uh, you're still practicing entertainment law in New York, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, still got some interesting projects going, uh, not wrestling related, but um, you know, you never know. But uh, I look back very fondly on these things. I keep the door open if something you know comes by that's you know extraordinary and exciting and all of that. Um, and uh, you know, sure, I didn't even realize that it was 30 years since uh, the show that we're talking about. Yeah, uh, you know, time flies. And um, I want to fill everybody in on how we met. I mean, you were basically initially just a listener, I believe, to Pro Wrestling Spotlight. That's right. On WEVD, I think it was, right? In, in yeah. New York? Yes. Uh, you had a show on at night. Mm -hmm. uh, was it Monday nights? Uh, we had uh, started on a Sunday evening and then eventually went to a Saturday night. Okay. Yeah, I remember... Uh, on, on Sunday when I was first listening. And, I, you know, it was fascinating to me because, you know, I grew up a uh, wrestling fan. You know, I always, you know, loved that coming up, you know, growing up in, you know, um, in primarily Long Island. And it was all about, you know, the WWWF, Bruno San Martino, you know, and um, a lot of those guys who were great. Dr. Jerry Graham, you know, one of my favorites. Um, Killer Kowalski, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, um, you know, you'd go on and on with these guys. It, it was, it was, it was exciting. It was interesting. And I remember at one time I was watching with my older cousin on a Saturday afternoon and, uh, he was, and I didn't know, you know, what pro wrestling was all about. And he was saying to me like, you know, I bet I, I could guess every, every winner, you know, in this hour. And I was like, Oh no, no way, no way. You know? And yeah, he did. Somehow I thought, 
you know, that Klondike Bill and Prince Nero were going to beat, you know, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts or, uh, you know, um, uh, Gorilla Monsoon or somebody like that. So you're going back really to 1965 around there. I mean, that because I remember watching it. I, back, um, I, was, I was like like seven years old watching this stuff, you know? Yeah. So you're talking, you know, certainly mid uh Mid sixties, uh, Spiro Sarion, Antonio Pugliese, Smash yes, Sloan, yes. Baron Cicluna. Not Smash um, Sloan, but Baron Cicluna. I saw him at uh, the Island Garden wrestle Bruno San Martino. That had to be like around sixty-eight. I think. Yeah. So you went to some live shows back. Uh, yeah, back I was. I was. My my father, you know, may he rest in peace. He threw me out. You know, I, he took me, but I was thrown out of Madison Square Garden when I went to see. Bruno San Martino against Baba the Giant, but I was under 14. You know, it's a ridiculous rule, but they wouldn't let me in. I had the same thing in 1967. It was uh, Bruno against Grillo Monsoon. Uh, and uh, we had bought our tickets when we got there. And my, I convinced my dad after, like, please take me to wrestling. Please, 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 please. And finally he consented. He got his uh, friend from a few houses away, one of our neighbors with uh, his son and his daughter and myself. And we all trekked into New York city and get our tickets and we get to go in. And, the, and this guy just, and I forget him. He looked like Ray Morgan, the announcer. He wasn't, but he was this yeah. guy. And he was like, yeah. uh, sorry folks. Uh, you have to be 14 or older to get in. And, and I, New, York, I New York was was just you know ridiculous. It was the New York you know despite whatever you say about you know all the you know the the, the you know the center of a lot of things you know it, it's draconian. It was the uh, the dark ages. You couldn't have women wrestlers for a long time. Or mask or mask wrestlers. Or mask wrestlers. I mean it's 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 absurd. Yeah, and yeah. it's ironic because. Then New York wanted everybody to wear a mask during COVID, but that's another story. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is whether true. whether whether that really helped, I'm not so sure. That is, that is true. Uh, so anyway, you stayed a wrestling fan, and then uh, here we are in the '90s. You find this this insider wrestling talk show, and uh, that's how we hooked up. And I believe you got a hold of me. Um, and, and I just called you up. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I. I had been. I, 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 I love the show. Um, it was like inside stuff, you know, that, that, you know, you wouldn't get through the after magazines and things like that. And, um, you know, I just found it, it was fascinating as, you know, the, 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 the layers uh, were being, you know, peeled back a little bit and you could get to see more or less what was happening. And uh, that was, that was very uh, avant-garde at the time, you know? Yeah. And, and we developed a friendship. Uh, from that. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're helping me by opening some doors. Did you, did you, in, you introduced me to John Regner, I believe. Uh, I think I did because he was friends with Mike Appel. That's right. Because that, yes, yeah. Mike Appel. His manager. Yes. You introduced me to Mike Appel as well. And we were in the middle of trying to put together this uh, tour of over, overseas. And I, and I meet, Mike Appel, who was Bruce Springsteen's manager, born to run the whole thing. Producer, yeah, he was yeah. a producer. I mean, he was kind of the guy that broke Bruce uh, in a lot of ways. You know, he 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 believed in him, but he was an interesting, shifty type of guy. So I take him to an ECW show before uh, they were extreme. Uh, Todd Gordon, uh, you know, I think Paulie was just taking over the book there, and and I'm saying this is what we're going to be promoting, and he comes with me. 
and he starts networking with some of the guys backstage and 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 then basically he you know on the way back he's kind of like yeah you know this is really good and i think it's going to be a great project and you know i don't know how long that you'll be involved in it you know i'll be the i'll be the figurehead who said this this regna appel appel no appel i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be a party to any criticism of mike I, I whatever happened you know i love yeah mike. whatever it is but anyway it didn't work out with mike and i and i did the deal with regner and then of course simultaneously you had uh you know, once we developed a friendship you had a vision of wanting to bring lucha libre to the united states and you yeah, started well, watching it uh tell us uh, how mm -hmm. you started engaging with lucha mm -hmm. libre on tv i was living in a little house in little neck queens right by the, the New York, Long Island border. And um, we, we had um, uh, Galavision was on the, or Galavision as they say, but I'm not into all the accents. When they say Galavision, um, it was uh, an offshoot of either Univ Univisa or Televisa, one of those, it was a cable station and they were showing, um, they would show the Lucha Libre from Mexico, they would show the AAA show. And I was watching this and I was just like at night, you know, like channel surfing, whatever. And I found this and um, I don't think I even had, you know, I didn't have much cable, just basic cable, you know. And, and I was just fascinated and transfixed by this because um, these guys were different. They were, they were smaller. They were more acrobatic. They wore masks. They had mask versus mask matches, hair versus mask matches, hair versus hair matches. They had... You know, all kinds of three, the typical match was a six-man tag team match. Um, you had all kinds of stuff that was very, very new and different. Well, new to an American fan like myself. And I, I just really got into it, wouldn't miss a show, would go to, you know, 42nd Street with, in the subway where they would sell these Mexican wrestling magazines and stuff, you know, and, and I would just devour it. And I called you up and I asked, I said, hey, you know, this is something really fascinating. Is anybody promoting this? Is anybody doing this in the United States? And I, you know, subsequently found out there were people doing small shows like in college gyms and things like that. But you introduced me to, I think it was, was it uh, Dave Meltzer? Yeah, you, I, 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 you asked if I knew anyone and I was like, well, I mean, I know that Dave Meltzer covers this stuff every single week in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I called Dave up. Yeah. And uh, then I believe we might have had a call with Dave and then he introduces us to Conan. Right. Right. And then Conan was like, you know, the, 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 the conduit who brought us together with Antonio Pena. Right. He, he gave us like the, the, the legitimacy, the street cred that that Pena would deal with us. So I brought in Daryl Brooks, who was a, um, a R&B and hip hop promoter based in Washington, D.C., who had promoted, you know, people in the music industry like um, Prince and Vogue, um, uh, you know, some of the other ones. Um, I can't think of the second, but um, he did the, the Deaf Comedy Jam and SummerSlam and things like, like you know, th those kind of things. He was really... Um, it's kind of a big, big deal promoter. Big deal promoter. Yeah, the, the Fresh Fest, things like that. He was a major promoter who had access to all of these you know, stadiums and arenas and all of that. And I brought him in and that's when we, we went, we were invited to Mexico by uh, Antonio Pena. There was the head of AAA and we went down there. Daryl came with me 
And uh, he was a little bit, you know, skeptical at first, as most people are when there's something, you know, new that they're not aware of. And uh, the next thing you know, um, you know, we, we, we went down there. We brought Jake with us. Um, we brought a woman who was an interpreter because my Spanish wasn't that hot. And we went down there and, and lo and behold, we're in this bull ring. All right. Let's not get know. ahead of ourselves because oh, we're okay. going to be listening to this. But right. there was uh, Carol Kirkendall was also involved. Yeah. Uh, the the manager of Salt and Pepper or something. Well, so was Daryl. It was, it was CD Enterprises, Carol and Daryl. Uh, and they were, you know, both, you know, Washington, D.C. promoters. And, um, you know, oh, uh, oh, Luther Vandross is another one that they, they promoted. And, and the managers of Salt and Pepper and all that. And so they, they both, you know, got involved. I, I, you know, dragged them in kicking and screaming uh, to do this. I got some financing together. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, as you said, but, you know, once they saw um, the, the, you know, Triple Mania in um, New Mexico. Mexico City, they were, you know, uh, they were sold on it. Uh, not, not, not Carol. She wasn't with us, but Daryl. Yeah, was, yeah, uh, really yeah. That liked, that trip probably had to be instrumental in, um, in, in getting uh, Daryl excited and seeing what this actually could be and seeing that crazy crowd and, and of course there there hadn't been any uh, major shows with, with Lucha uh, with Lucha promoted in the United States at all. So uh, this was kind of innovative. It was uh, like I said, you were visionary, uh, and uh, I know that. Uh, uh, previous to this appearance that you're that we're about to listen to, uh, I knew you were down there, and I was kind of Marsh. You know, you remember from listening to shows. I was worried about Ron down there uh, because of you know the potential of writing and stuff. And I was like, you know, because I didn't hear from you for a few days, and I'm like, geez, where is he? <laughs> you know, what's going on? Uh, yeah, he was yeah, pretty uh, pretty concerned on the tapes. Yeah. Oh, you you have me. Wait a minute. No, what it's like it? the week before. The week before you came on, you were, you know, the match had taken place or whatever. And I'm like, I didn't hear from Ron. He went down to Mexico. Who knows what, what happened down there? Because I knew the results by, you know, obviously. Before, uh, before I went to Mexico, we had a meeting at the, um, was the hotel, uh, the, um, where was it? The one in, in, in Times Square uh, near. The, the Marquis, uh, the Marriott Marquis. The Marriott Marquis. And that's where, you know, we met Jake the Snake Roberts. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't that the day? Wasn't that the same time? Yeah, he came in because we were doing the tour of Southeast Asia. You were doing all the contracts with the guys. Yeah. We were on the phone with the ultimate warrior and he tried to hold me up from even more money. Right. That was that was later, I believe. You know, that I'm talking later? about before I went to Mexico City for the Triple Mania show. Before I went to that, we had a meeting in um because because jake went with us remember jake yeah. went with went with daryl and myself and the the interpreter that we had um on the plane but before that we had to meet him yeah. and um i don't remember pena was there or not i think you were you not at that meeting i was there at, yeah. uh, it, it was not pena though pena was not there. it was not pena at that one but you know yeah jake you know um i i, I don't know that that was one of his better moments you know there's a lot of those. Oh my goodness. No, anyway. I, just, I just detected like, you know, like this, like uh, this, this automatic, like hostility, you know, towards mm. lawyers, 
which I could understand. <laughs> you know, again, you know, I'm not, you know, the the, yeah. the cookie cutter profile of that. No, you're not. Absolutely not. But anyway, we're going to go back 30 years, Marsh. And why don't you take it from yeah. here and let's uh, let's uh, have Ron for the first time since May the 8th, 1993. Listen to some of these uh, historic clips now. Yeah, I want to set this up a little bit, and I want to clarify one thing, just because this is a, I mean, we're, we are talking about wrestling 30 years ago, uh, and just because I was curious when I very first heard him come on, you're an, an actual lawyer, correct? Like, you're a real lawyer, this wasn't like yeah, a I don't, lawyer. I, don't, I didn't just play one in, um, in wrestling, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I just think it's important to clarify that because sometimes it's all like, oh, yeah, this is a guy doing that. Or everything, it wasn't like, you know, everything's a work, right? But no, not, right? not everything. Now, Ron is definitely an entertainment lawyer. And by the way, major I want to say clients, major one, clients in New York. One more thing, one more thing, John. You know, when, when to just backtrack for a second because, you know, a flood of memories are coming back. I remember when I first called your show and we first were, were, you know, getting to know each other a little bit, I got a call back from uh, someone who I, I felt was a really obnoxious character who called me and his name was, um, what's it, uh, uh, Vince Russo, I believe. You know, he, he called me at, at the office because I had left a message for you or something. And I remember like, like he didn't know who I was or anything, but there was no reason for him to know. But, and, and he didn't know I was calling from my office. It was like 7.30 in the evening or whatever it was. And I remember he asked me like in a, in a way like, he was like, how old are you? Like, 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 what are you, a child? Are you a moron? Are you whatever, you know, like, how old are you? You know, like that. It was just like, you know, wow. That was 92. It had to be then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we do have three clips just so we have a, a consistency sake for where, where we're going with this. The opening clip, the first one is only uh, three or three or so minutes. It's about you going down there, uh, being glad you survived uh, and kind of breaking down what the matches were. We, we pause there so you guys can reminisce it for anything you need to. The second clip is strictly about Jake, how Jake got involved, how deeply he was involved, him getting interviewed the, that I believe you started to talk about. A lot of that is in there. And then the final clip is a little bit longer, but it's basically here's how the show went and here's how I got out alive effectively, right? Um, so we'll start now with the first one, which is basically you getting in the in the studio on a mic for the first time since the event. Ron Scholar is here with me. Ron, uh, I guess uh, we've been working together for almost a year approximately now, right? That's right. Uh, you're a wrestling fan, also an entertainment attorney right here in the Big Apple. Yep. And uh, Lucha Libre aficionado. I guess you call it that? Yes. A big Lucha Libre fan. Um, last week, you went down to Mexico City yes. for the AAA's big anniversary show, Triple Mania 1, mm -hmm. and you had a good time. Yeah, it was a great time, and I'm glad that I survived it to come on your show, John, and talk to the people about it, because it, it got extremely wild. Yeah. But it was, it was great. Um, okay, uh, for those who don't know about Lucha Libre, uh, it's shown on um, Galavision on Sunday nights from 7.30 to 10 o'clock, and you really ought to check it out if you can see it. I think it's also on Channel 41 in the New York area, like real late Thursday night, like one in the morning or something like that. So if you don't know what we're talking about, that might you know, give you some idea. You should definitely check it out. Anyway, there's a new wrestling organization based in Mexico City called AAA, or as they call it, AAA. And this was the one-year anniversary of the formation of the AAA, or AAA, uh, that took place on April 30th. Uh, at the Plaza de Toros in Mexico City, which is a huge bull ring. It holds 45,000 people. And believe me, it was sold out legitimately, 45,000 people plus 5,000 people outside who they had to call the police to, to disperse. 
Okay. So in other words, they had to turn away roughly twice the people that showed up for the Paramount show in New York for WCW, to put it into some kind of perspective. Anyway, 45,000 people. It was a triple main event. Uh, there were eight matches on the card. The show went on for four hours, and nobody was bored for even one second. That, that it, it was the most exciting, most colorful, most intense uh, wrestling show that I've ever seen. And, of course, the, the main event was uh, one of which uh, we had Conan here in the studio back in March, and he is like the national hero of Mexico. Well, he's, he, about half the people were for Conan, and the other half were for Cien Carras. Oh, is it split up like that, 50-50? It was split really? up like that. A lot of people were, were not, a, not for Conan because Conan is not a Mexican. Conan is, is Cuban, and Cien uh -huh. Carras is a, a Mexican. Okay. So I would say that the younger people, like teenagers, teenage girls in particular, they love Conan because he has that rock star look. But the kind of older fans and the ones that were more nationalistic were for Cien Caras. Well, the, traditionally down there also, the fans don't necessarily cheer for a babyface or a heel or uh, a rudo. Right. They call the, the, the heels or the bad guys are known as rudos, and the good guys are the scientific wrestlers. Technicos. Technicos. Yeah. Right. And they, the rudos are not like the rudos here. They love the rudos. They love the technicos. The rudos have their own fans with banners and flags and, and all kinds of, you know, cheering sections for the Rudos, and, and it's, just, it, it's just an incredible event, and everybody put out 100%. Now, as I said, this was a, a triple main event, uh, and the matches were as follows. It was Conan versus Cien Caras in the main main event. Uh, that was a loser-must-retire match. So that's how we started off the show that good. day. A good a good background on for the fans out there who may have not been familiar with the La Triple A, uh, and uh, it was a good setup, Ron. Yeah, it, it, it memories of flooding back. Um, yeah, it was it was um, a, a it was an amazing match where the 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 loser had to retire, and uh, Conan was counted out of the ring. Ciancaras uh, threw him out of the ring, but there was interference. Uh, by Jake the Snake, who came in and, and beat up uh, Mascarita Sagrada, you know, a mini, you know, midget. And that created a lot of heat. Yeah. And Conan was was counted out. But Jake, you know, there's a lot of heat. Yeah, we're going to get to that in the second clip. But I have a couple of questions for you. Now, at this time, because um, of the result of that match where Conan had to retire, and the only way really to get the revenge is to wrestle in the United, United States. Now, how right. far along, I don't remember specifically, but was there a deal in place at that time when you went to Mexico? No, there was, there was talk, there was interest, there was a desire, you know, to do something. But I, I, I you know, I'll tell you what really shocked me is I remember being there, uh, I think it was either the day of the show or the day before the show. And we were talking to uh, Pena and it was me and Daryl and, and Pena. And um, we said, you know, we'd like to do something and, you know, I, you know, maybe do a show in LA. We'd like to do a show in LA. And Pena goes something like, uh, okay, well, how about, uh, how about like in two months or something like, it was like, like, I was like, what? You know, it was like, it was, I don't know how many, I forget, but it was shortly thereafter, just a few months later, you yeah. know? And he want, which makes sense because there was a lot of heat, uh, you know, emanating from that. But, you know, I was shocked at like, what, you know, like now, like we got to, yeah. you know, we're really going to do this. 
And um, yeah, we, he, he was in all the way, like right from the beginning. He's like, I'm going to go. We're going to go to the United States. And, and oh, yeah. like, apparently he found his, his the right partners to, to bring him there. Yeah. Antonio Pena was great. You know, he was, you know, to me, uh, you know, like the Walt Disney of Mexican wrestling or, or his wrestling in general. He was um, he was an amazingly uh, creative guy. Yeah, he was. And uh, Conan certainly uh, saw that when uh, Pena started AAA and and the, the the talent that was assembled in such a quick period of time to build AAA was incredible. Uh, but this is where it all started, really. I mean, and then before you know it, you know, we're, you're going to L.A. and we're all going out there for this uh, amazing show, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But uh, as we get uh, Marsh back for the second uh clip uh that we're gonna play um marsh i mean uh, set up this next one for us yeah so what was kind of fun about it is that you know it's fun to watch you guys now talk 30 years later because this is why that cut abruptly because immediately ron starts going into the jake and you're like hold on let me stop you there yeah and then you set up the jake spot and then we go through it so this is all about jake's involvement what made him such Ooh. a hot heel and the stuff and he was doing out there and before we play the clip, we also want to let everybody that watches our YouTube channel, and that's uh, youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight for that video version. Marsh has actually found that match, that main event. And we're going to uh, insert that clip into the YouTube version so everyone can get a chance to see it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to do it in its entirety or at least bits and piece, pieces while you're talking about you. it. You're the editor. You're the creative director. So. It's up to you, yeah. my friend. <laughs> so here it is. Here's uh, uh, Ron covering Jake's involvement. Yeah, what we're going to do, because the, the fans out there are not very familiar with Lucha. Okay. Uh, but this main event has repercussions which involve American wrestling because Jake the Snake Roberts uh, has entered this federation. And uh, Jake is a, is just a. Everybody knows who Jake Roberts is and what he's done in the past. Uh, he was there down in Mexico several weeks ago. Uh, they did an angle where he was in the uh, hotel or something, and he saw Conan just leading up and just challenging Conan or or mocking him and the Mexicans. And he was there, and you were sitting uh, right by Jake when he was introduced before this match. And, yes. and tell us what happened. Well, leading up to it a little bit, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. When you say he entered the Federation. Boy, did he enter the Federation. He is the biggest villain in Mexico. Uh, Jake Roberts, okay. Uh, about a month before this match, he did a, an interview, or a confrontation, I should say, with uh, Conan uh, in a hotel room in which they got into a, a very heated argument in which Jake made some, you know, very nice, uh, you might say, um, you know, type of comments worthy of the UN where he was saying that, uh, that everything about Mexico is inferior, including their wrestling. And, uh, you know, you talk about the Alamo. Uh, I mean, after all, that was your great victory. It was 154 Texans and 5,000 Mexicans, and that's what you talk about. And everything else about uh, your, your country and your wrestling in particular is second rate compared to the United States. And things like that that would endear him to the Mexican people. Uh, then, about two weeks later, which is about two weeks before the big show, Jake was on a tour of, uh, of Europe, and they sent a film crew to interview him. Now, the, the female reporter who interviewed him, Jake thought, was uh, part of the AAA broadcast team. Turned out she was a serious political journalist, and she was interviewing Jake, and Jake was 
giving her the, the, the basic, um, the, the basic storyline about, hey, everything about Mexico is second rate, your wrestling is second rate, it's boring, uh, you know, the, Mexico is a third world country, which, which it is, but nobody wants to hear that down there. And um, it's also a beautiful country. And uh, th everybody hated him. And, and Jake saw that this woman was getting angry and angry and angry. He thought she was terrific. And then after the interview, he found out that she was taking it seriously. And he went up to her and he found out that she was a political journalist covering this for a serious uh, newspaper that, that was, uh, you know, the equivalent of the New York Times in Mexico. And uh, then he tried to explain it to her. And the more he tried to explain, listen, you know, this is just to, to build up heat for a wrestling match, she, the, more, the more and more incredulous and angry she became. So anyway, this was the... And this, of course, aired on, both angles aired on, uh, on Mexican television. And, and I'm sure he, she didn't give him a favorable review. <laughs> no, no, not at all. She, she hated him. So he came, in, he came into the match. He came into that bull ring filled with the Mexicans. Hating him. Already hating him. Already hating him. We're, and they, the people there brought Mexican flags that they were waving. Nobody expected Jake to be there. Yeah. Wow. That's a really cool backstory. Yeah. That's right. I, I, I remember that, you know, it's, it's, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. I mean, when you say something like that, uh, on a national, on national TV with a, uh, a political reporter and the people see it. And then of course the dude shows up for triple mania, of course his life is going to be in danger in that bullring. And, and of course the people that he was with also, had to be in a little bit of danger, Ron. Well, they also introduced him in the in the bull ring, and he went into the, the middle of the bull ring. First, people were, were cheering, some people, and then you know he said some things. Uh, I, I you know was I guess he, he he said a few comments that were then interpreted by um, what was his name um, uh, Rivera. Atoro Atoro Rivera. Right, right. We interpret and 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 they started booing. And then Jake grabbed his crotch in the middle of the ring and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was like really like adding, you know, insult to injury. Wow. Wow. I mean, uh, at that point, before we'll get into the main event and, you know, the escape and all of that. But yeah, when you're one shoe. Yeah. Well, you're sitting with Daryl and um, I don't think Pena obviously was running the show. So he wasn't sitting with you guys. But, but, right? no, but Jake was sitting with us. Until Jake was was with ring. you. Yeah. Until, so people yeah. saw, you know, that, oh, those are Jake's friends, you know. But, but was Daryl Daryl getting it as you guys were sitting there? Was he saying like, yeah, I think this would work? You you mean about Jake's angle or about no about the, the about US? the whole promotion coming to the U.S. seeing oh, what the potential? He saw, saw forty five thousand people there, and he you know yeah. he just like was like you know um, he 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 found religion. He was like, oh my god, wow, this is amazing. Look, look, he just he just saw forty five thousand people in one place, and it was like you know uh, what more would it take to win over a promoter? Yeah, exactly. He saw money, basically, as, yeah. as everybody did, because it was kind of like, wow. But he wasn't, you know, he, he got to appreciate it um, from, you know, he, he got to appreciate the Lucha, you know, but yeah. not at that time. Later, he developed a, an appreciation and a taste for it, and he got more into it. Um, I, I started because I, I loved, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the Mexican wrestling to begin with. That's why I got into it. I didn't expect it to be 
a business. I thought originally I was just watching it as a fan and, and I just enjoyed it. And it was, you know, a distraction and it was escapism and it was, you know, it, it was enjoyable. It was entertaining. Uh, all of that. I didn't expect to get into it, but then I thought, like, wow, you know, this stuff is amazing. Is anybody doing this? You know, maybe there's something here that, that we can do. And that's what happens. You know, I get into something because it's fun and mm -hmm. then it becomes a business. And, you know, usually, you know, it, it works out, uh, but then it's, you know, it's not fun anymore. Uh, and I got to look for something else because, you know, the, the, there's a lot of stress in this life, you know? Oh, there's without a doubt. Um, so we have another clip, uh, Marsh, and uh, this is kind of the, uh, you know, the ending of the main event and Ron's yep. attempted escape. This is the the last one. This is a little bit longer, about four minutes or about five minutes, forty five seconds ish. But this is the last tail end of the of the interview, uh, complete with your goodbyes and stuff. But yeah, this is uh this is the heart of everything that was going on that you were watching. Uh, more than front row, right? Yeah. So anyway, here we is a, a four match card. We're sitting there. We had good seats, about five rows back from ringside in this forty five thousand seat packed house. And after the fourth match. Jake comes down, and, and he sits about, oh, about four or five seats away from where I'm sitting. Uh, and he's introduced to the crowd. Now, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but luckily we, I was with someone who is. And she explained what happened. Jake Roberts went into the ring, and they announced him as being a former WWF superstar and being a, a top wrestler from the United States who just returned from a tour of Europe and how he feels that everything about Mexico is inferior and their wrestling is inferior and he doesn't care for their people and, uh, and, and, and that uh, it's a third world country. And they just kept, the announcer kept repeating and repeating all of the things that he had said and even probably embellished some to the point where the crowd was cursing him and saying things in Spanish that we couldn't, we couldn't repeat in they English. They were worked over up in the a show. frenzy. They were in a frenzy. They were throwing things. They were, uh, they were waving Mexican flags. This, this was for real. This was real animosity. This was, as they say, a shoot, <laughs> at, at, at least on the fans' part. Uh, Jake Roberts, trying to, to be uh, a diplomatic person that he is, grabbed his crotch. Can oh, I say that on the radio? Yeah, you can and, say and, that, sure. Okay, to, to, to the crowd in front of 45,000 people to show that he's got either nerves of steel or he's insane. One of the two. He then came and sat down with us again. At that point... Debris was, was coming from every which way, and it wasn't such a choice seat any longer. Uh-huh. Okay. A dangerous seat. A dangerous seat. Now, then the wrestlers were introduced. Cien Caras is a famous uh, Mexican wrestler. He's a rudo, but he's still greatly beloved by the fans. He would be like, kind of like a Ric Flair down there. Mm -hmm. uh, Conan is, is like Sting down there. That's the, the best comparison I could give. And as soon as Conan got in the ring, he saw his arch nemesis, Jake Roberts, and he started, you know, to, to, to say to Jake, uh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And they started taunting each other and, and, you know, using foul language towards each other and all this. Jake approached the ring and was taunting uh, Conan. Uh, then uh, the match began and Jake had to, to sit down. Then midway through the match, again, Jake came up and started taunting Conan. Conan was getting distracted. Now, remember, this is a loser-must-retire match. Okay, and, and it, was, it was really, really a, a heated moment. Jake had to sit down yet a second time. Finally, Jake went up to the ring again. At this point, Cien Caras also turned against Jake because Jake was making all these anti-Mexican statements and all that. Jake hit Cien Caras. Mm -hmm. Cien Caras did not, uh, well, we're, we're, we're telling the, the, the whole truth, the inside story, did not sell the move. Mm -hmm. 
He hit him a second time. Again, he did not react. Jake Roberts then, in order to get the proper reaction, hit him a third time and legitimately broke his nose. Cien <laughs> uh, Karras' eyes rolled back in his head, and he was knocked down. And he was, I don't know if he was knocked out, but he was out of it legitimately. Wow. Uh, at that point, <clears throat> now, the wrestlers there had seconds, like before there's a duel, you know, you have a second, mm -hmm. and they had seconds down there. Cien Karras had a wrestler there to second him, and Conan had a midget as his second, Mascarita Sagrada. It was a great midget wrestler. Jake went up to the ring, picked up the midget, threw the midget across the ring, and DDT'd the midget. Okay? I'm sure the crowd was The, the crowd, crowd was, was going, going crazy. It, it was, it was as, as somebody once said, pandemonium breaking loose. For real. And uh, at, at, at that point, Jake uh, was fighting with, um, with Conan, who was outside the ring. Now, Conan is outside the ring fighting with Jake. Cien Karras is knocked out for all intents and purposes, and the midget is injured, okay? The referee comes and carries, one of the referees comes and carries the midget out of the ring, uh -huh. okay? The referee ran into me and, and kicked me in the leg at that point, at which point I lost my shoe. Well, you were trying to, this was, you we were trying trying to, to escape. You were trying to get out of there because to, it was a riot. They didn't love gringos at yeah, that moment. Yeah. Okay, so what happened was Conan and Jake were fighting, and the referee was going to count to Bente, which means 20. 20. When he got to 18, Cien Karras made it back into the ring, but alas, Conan did not. Conan was counted out of the ring as a result of Jake the Snake Roberts, the hero of the Mexican, you know, uh, you know younger generation of wrestling fans, had to retire. Uh, he lost the match because of Jake's interference. Conan wept in the ring. It was a sad moment, my friends. And a very exciting one, it seems. It was a very exciting moment now, from what I, I saw of it. I understand they're going to be showing highlights on the Galavision. If you're lucky enough to have Galavision on Sunday nights, check it out. They'll be showing highlights from this card. And uh, I tell you, with Conan not being able to wrestle in Mexico right now, it would be, uh, be pretty wise uh, for them to, to carry their feud elsewhere. Yes. Uh, if, if there's any promoter brave enough to book it. Yeah. Well, uh... Wow, that's great, Ron. I appreciate you coming down here. Now, uh, no, uh, the, you know, the, the main event there was just to sound like a super, super card. Um, I appreciate you coming down and, uh, and sharing that with us because we were hoping last week we were worried about you. We were, we were, uh, we were saying, you know, we knew you were down there. Uh, once you didn't call in, it was like <laughs> something happened. Uh, Jake is down there. There's a riot. Something's going on. So we were very worried about you when we didn't hear from you last week on the program. And I'm happy enough uh, to have you safe back in the country. Thank you. Here at the show tonight, and you gave the fans the inside scoop. And uh, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back. Uh, radio is theater of the mind, and everybody out there knows what happened in Mexico. And uh, I can't wait to see it on video. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh, Obviously, great to get that report from you right there at the scene. But this led to the alliance. It led to you forming uh, IWC. Yeah, with you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, we we and then it was kind of like the promotion. You know, once we everything was solidified, and it was August twenty eighth, I believe, nineteen ninety three, and at the L.A. Sports Arena in, in Los Angeles. La Revancha. La Revancha. So it was uh, CN Paris, Conan, and Jake. Uh, but leading up to it, Ron, I mean, your dealings, and now you're, now you're getting knee-deep. Once the deal is solidified and Carol and Daryl are in as promoters and, and you're kind of like working hand-in-hand -hand with Pena, Conan is involved, putting this majestic, debut 
together. But there was, unbeknownst to everyone, everyone was worried about the ticket sales for that show in Los Angeles. Uh, And I guess there was a lot of worried people leading up to that event. None more than me. Yeah. Yeah. But it it was like kind of like I think the advance was what, 8,000 or something before the day before? Yeah, it was it was um, it was something like. I think it was like like 6,500 or something like that as of the day before, something like that. And 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 everyone was worried. Yeah. Well, the place holds um, 17,000 and change. It was the sports arena in L.A. We actually went above that. Um, but I, I was told that as of that morning, you know, there were lines like around the stadium. Which yeah, I, I guess was, the morning the morning of the show is when everything changed. It's when nah, because, you know, because, because everyone said show. everyone said it was a walk-up crowd. Well, well, that's what a Mexican crowd is. It's a walk-up crowd. I didn't know that because like it, it we people were telling us based on if this was a WWE show or WWF in those days, it would be, you know, like well, if you had 6,000 ticket sales, you know, you probably have like, like, you know, uh, eight or 9,000 people in the building. And we think, well, is that enough to break even? Can we do this? Whatever. Well, we had um, 18,000 people in the building and we had 8,000 people turned away. Yeah. It created and, a okay, massive I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a story about if, if you want me to continue on that, on that note. Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. <laughs> so there I am. I, I see you could curse on your show. So um, we were, you know, it was the, the, the night of the show and we were standing there, you know, in, in, in the arena. I'm standing there with Daryl, this guy, Gerald Scott, who um, worked for him. And I was like, was working with us. And I was, you know, all, all these like, like, you know, R&B guys from, from DC, you know, that I'm doing this, this wrestling show with. So, uh, I mean, talk about diversity. So we, we're in there. And I'm like on top of the world. I'm like beaming. I'm so happy because I, I know I feel like vindicated. Like here we are, you know, it's a sellout. First first night, first match, you know, 18,000 people. We were turning away. We could have sold 26,000 tickets, you know. And Daryl is just looking miserable, miserable, miserable. And, and I'm like, hey, what's up? He goes, uh, not right now. No, just leave me alone for a minute. Not, 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 not now, you know. I'm like, like what, what's wrong with him, you know? So I, I, I said, I said to, um, uh, I, I said to Gerald, what, what's wrong with Daryl? He goes, uh, you, you, you don't, you don't know how a promoter thinks. You don't know how a promoter. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he'll, he'll talk, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, you know how a promoter thinks. I said, okay, well, I mean, we've got a, a sellout here. I don't see how anybody could think anything differently. So um, then, like a few minutes later, I go over there and say, Daryl, what's up? You know, you you look you look so unhappy. Why is this? And he says, uh, you know why? Because because uh, you're you're thinking, isn't it great? You know, we sold eighteen thousand tickets, and I'm thinking I got eight thousand motherfuckers with money in their pocket, and I ain't got no second show. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. This isn't James Brown at the Apollo. There's no right. second show. Right? No. This is it's just like if there's a boxing match or something. There's no second show. Hey, let's do it again. Maybe this time the other guy will knock this guy out. You know, it doesn't work that way. No, no. And I guess that was kind of a difference of philosophy. I mean, um, that first show, uh, you know, the reviews it got, uh, the attendance, the gate, which I believe 
out of all of the shows in 1993 box office, WrestleMania was number one, SummerSlam was number two, and La Ravencho was the number three uh, highest grossing uh, show in 1993 in all of wrestling. Really? Yes. So we had we had the third highest grossing show for in 1993 America? in America. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even realize that. It opened up wow. some eyes. It opened up some eyes for sure. I guess. I mean, it it, op it opened up some eyes, and uh, it opened up some of the wrong eyes too. You know, that's that's but that's, oh, that's another story. We know yeah. WCW and all of that. All of that, yeah. Well, I'm sure that's we'll get. We, yeah, we'll yeah. definitely get to that another time. But but also like, as as your relationship with AAA uh, solidified, and uh, of course other shows were booked, and and you started uh, bringing in some uh, some American talent. I know uh, DDP was part of that, and. And uh, there was also, uh, I think, uh, Louis Piccoli you brought in as Madonna's boyfriend, uh, yeah. who was a young performer at the time. Uh, yeah, very, very and, tragic. Yeah. Yes. And, you, you know, developed a good relationship with the guys. You know, Conan was there. And, you know, we, we got to see, all got to see, Rey Mysterio Jr. for the first time, this teenager who was just, to this day, one of the most historic figures in the entire world. So Great. bringing him into the United States uh, for that first big exposure uh, certainly uh, helped him and, and his, uh, you know, growing legacy, even as a teenager. And it was a, it was really a spectacular time. Um, my involvement in it and, and just the fact that I was able to kind of orchestrate connections and that's kind of what I've did my entire career was all right maybe we can introduce this person to that person and it all came together and uh and all the things i did in pro wrestling that night in august of 1993 uh is certainly one of my proudest and to be associated with you was uh was always a, a freaking pleasure man you were Thank a straight you, john. shooter too, john i appreciate it because you really did put everybody together and you you were out there as the person, the go-to guy, you know, you, because of the radio show and the conventions and other things that you did, you know, where you had all of this, all of this knowledge and all these resources and contacts, you know, that uh, were really uh, invaluable. It was a great night. I never forget being there and seeing Meltzer backstage and Mike Tanay and all of these people were just, they were beyond, they were like beyond excited on how uh, this was going to be a mainstay in the United States. Well, I mean, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that about today, but I know that, that um, Dave Meltzer was into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Ron, I mean, this for me is always, it's always a pleasure to see you first of all. I mean, right. and uh, the relationship well, yeah, that we've had for 30 years. Next time I'm up in New York, I'll be up at the end of August. Uh, I'd love to have dinner and just kind of, hang with you. Oh, wait a minute. I think I might be attacked any minute. Just a second. I may be under attack. I don't know if this oh, yeah. is happen or not, but I think, oh my God. No. Oh my God. Save me. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. <laughs> oh, no muffs. No my wife. You still got uh, a, you still got a good you get, you still got a good collection of artifacts uh, from back then. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Wait a minute. She, she really she really fucked me up here. What am I gonna? No. Um, who's yeah. who's who's mask whose mask was that? What character?
collection of matches. Hey, here's something. Here's the minis belt from uh, IWC. We saved this. We were able to salvage that one. Oh, that's Taurus nice. the heavyweight one. I don't know what happened after that, but this is the minis belt that was worn around the waist of uh, es- the late great Espectrito and uh, Mascarita Sagrada. Um, I don't know. We've, maybe lost, bo- we've lost both of those guys, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, they're terrible. I, w- I was actually friendly with, they're both good guys. I was really friendly with Espectrito. And he was yeah. really a great guy. And what happened to him was just, you know, horrendous. He was he was murdered, really. You know? I know. And I here's know. something. Here's something I'm I'm very proud of too. I don't know if this is show up or not, but this oh, was yeah. given to me by Los Gringos Locos. You yeah, know, I don't know if Art, Art Bar. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, Art Bar, Love Machine, Conan, and you know, the late great Eddie Guerrero here. And yeah. it's it says here HLA Mexico. And um Tus hijos, los gringos locos, like you know your 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 children, the, the los gringos locos, you know. So that would that's a nice thing that that they gave me. Uh, they were like the top heel tag team, you know, in in Mexico at the time, and probably in L.A. as yeah. well. Yeah. So if, if anyone hasn't seen them, look for the old videos. I mean, los gringos locos. I mean, that chemistry uh, without Bar and Eddie Guerrero. I mean, what? Uh, I mean. You talk about they, dynamic. They, 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 were, they were great guys. I guess say I can't say enough about Eddie. You know, uh, Eddie was really a, a great guy. Yeah. Both of them, but you know, I, I miss them. You know, and uh, Eddie was a spectacular, even better known up here, spectacular wrestler, a great person. Um, yeah. You know, what can you say? Yeah, we we we've lost so many of them. Uh, but Ron Scholar, I really want to thank you for your time today. I mean, it's been a pleasure to see you and uh, reminisce with you about what happened on May 8th, 1993, man. Where did it all go? I know. Time flies. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Marsh, you too, man. All right. Thanks. Thank Can't wait to see this. Thank you, man. Thank you, Ron. Really cool. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. I mean, yeah, that was uh, that's really cool. I mean, uh, that was kind of how it started, man. That's uh, And it was a good run. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it's really neat to find out how involved he was with AAA there. You know what I mean? Specifically, because we talked about it even with the with the Conan interview, like the, and even when Terry Funk was on there, he was even saying like, "You guys, uh, he would be a fool not to be paying attention to what was happening in AAA because of how much was going on." You know, yeah. Uh, to know that Ron was was such a a part of that, you know, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing time, and of course there were several other shows that were booked in Los Angeles, and uh, and then of course the debacle, uh, debacle not on Ron's part, but on the WCW pay per view uh, when Worlds Collide in 1994 it was a spectacular show, uh, but even Eric Bischoff would admit they didn't do the right thing with that Mexican brand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they definitely got a lot of eyes on people we wouldn't have known otherwise, potentially, but that's not the only way it could have happened, for sure. Yeah, yep. Uh, I want to remind everybody, as uh, we tape this and get ready to cover, uh, I guess, the morning. Do we have any other clips from the evening, or do we have the morning, too? Okay. Yeah, we got a little bit of uh, both. We can figure out how we're doing this. Yeah, Uh, so once, uh, you know, what I do want to just kind of announce and remind everyone that we... Uh, of course, uh, you know, we haven't talked to you since we lost superstar Billy Graham and uh, we are uh, recording 
a special tribute to uh, superstar Billy Graham with George Napolitano and the person who wrote his book, uh, Keith Elliott Greenberg. Uh, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a good one, too. So we got some good content uh, upcoming. So I just wanted to plug that uh, superstar Billy Graham uh, show, which we'll be recording and then releasing to everybody out there, not only on Patreon, but everywhere else. Uh, so yeah. I look forward to that. That's great. On, on with the show, man. Uh, well, how about we do this? We'll stay focused on the, on episode 216 because where we were. Okay. Uh, right before Ron came on, we have one clip from Cactus Jack because this is the first time he's on since. That's June. right. And the injury with Vader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a cool clip where, uh, uh, again, this is this was a little bit of a longer interview. So for Patreons, you could hear the whole thing. This is the tail end of the interview where he really kind of focuses more on on his goals and coming back, you know? Okay. Uh, because you left a lot of people out there just uh, devastated is the only word I could think of that comes to mind uh, regarding uh, your future. And uh, it, it, we're happy to hear that, uh, that you're feeling better. And uh, we can be patient. We will be patient. And believe me, when you come back into the ring and you make another appearance, especially up here in the Northeast, uh, the fans will come out in droves to welcome you with open arms back to uh, the wrestling business. Well, let me ask you this. Well, fans out now, now as you know, as, when you really analyze the Cactus Jack style, what is it? I mean, there's not really a lot of power moves. Like I said before, I've always compensated for the fact that I can't jump high by jumping off of high things. Mm-hmm. That's a style that I created myself, and it seems to have worked. But like we've said before, and everyone's said many times, it's a style based on high risk risks that I was always willing to take. But now, even if you're a big-time gambler and you're betting on your horse, once that horse breaks its leg, you're not so bound to vote for a Sea Hero in the Preakness. If Sea Hero were to break his, break his leg, you wouldn't be so bound to, 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 uh, to bet on him in the Preakness. Now, Cactus Jack, for all intents and purposes, has a broken leg. I'm a horse that can't run. Will the people out there be willing to see a Cactus Jack who doesn't take risks? Or will promoters want to hire a Cactus Jack who doesn't take risks and therefore isn't as exciting or as successful? Once the risks over, overcome, you know, normal thinking, at least the way I think normally, then I'm not so sure there's a spot for me in the sport. Are you saying that when you do come back, you're going to uh, tone it down? No, I'm saying that if I, if I can't come back the way I want to, I yeah. might as well just stay home. Yeah. Because I'm not athletically blessed. And I'm not, uh, I don't have all the right connections that I pretty much got by on the fact that I was an exciting performer and somebody who was an asset to the company. I don't think there will be a spot in the fans' hearts or the promoters' minds for a Cactus Jack who can't do the things he used to do. So that's what's, it's, I feel like this is, this is not going to be a big setback, but... If there's another injury where I can't get up and walk away, I think everyone will have to say bye-bye to Cactus Jack. Well, we're hoping that that uh, does not happen. Um, we just hope for your, your speedy return, and uh, we hope things are, are, will work out with you, you know, uh, because this business has been enhanced by the presence of Cactus Jack over the last several years, and um, it would be wrestling's loss if you, if you come back and, and are not able to perform up to the way that uh, you had always performed before inside the ring. Well, it's led me to do a lot of thinking, you know. I've got a wife and I've got a baby, and I am the provider for this family. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I do? I've been able to make a very good living the past couple of years. 
as you know, when you're in Memphis and you're a world class, you don't make a very good living. And once you're there, it's hard to give it up. This is the first time I've had to sit back and really seriously think about what I do with life without wrestling. Now, maybe there'd be a spot. I was a manager for some time last year, and I thought I did very well. Maybe there'd be a spot there. Maybe there'd be something else, or maybe it's time altogether to, to, to put the wrestling behind me and, and get on and do something else. Well, uh, we hope that's not the case. That's all we can say to you. Well, thanks, John. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on tonight, at least uh, the fans out there who have been wondering and, and worrying about uh, about your health are, are reassured a little bit, knowing that uh, you are up and talking, you're up and about, and uh, we shipped a, a big package of letters to you from fans from all across the Northeast, and uh, our good friend George Ann Macropolis has also uh, got a number of cards and letters that she sent down to you, and uh, well, at least over the next week or so, you could have the opportunity to read what the fans are thinking and uh, I'm sure you'll, your heart will be warmed by that. Thanks, John. But just to to summarize the way I feel, there's no doubt in my mind that I will be back sometime soon. But if that comeback doesn't uh, doesn't entail, you know, the the things that I like to do and the things I need to do, then I think we'll, you know, we'd call it quits after that. But I'm I'm counting on coming back at 100% with all guns firing, bang bang. And we'll see what happens. Well, Cactus, you know, we wish you the best of luck, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, John. Okay, good night. Bye. Wow, that's really so interesting to hear his headspace. I mean, what he was thinking at that time in his life. To me, it's so fascinating given that it's 93. This is several years before he takes the biggest risks of his career. Like, yeah, he has not even begun taking risks as far as we know right as far as us like and i say we as like the younger wwe fans who i didn't know cactus i knew mankind so Mm -hmm. i was seeing that stuff and then to think that years three or four years before i even got wind to him he was like did i just have a career-ending injury Mm -hmm. and then and then he takes those risks (laughs) yeah well uh, obviously he came back uh being able to do what he needed to do as a performer and as uh, uh, someone who eventually became uh, the hardcore legend. Yeah. And I'm so happy that uh, obviously he continued on, but at that time he was in a place that he didn't know if he could do it any longer, if he could work up to those expectations he had for himself, which even a 50% watered-down version of Cactus Jack in 1993 was still entertaining, but he wanted more. Yeah, and I loved hearing him reminisce a little bit about being a manager just a year before because we'd covered that as well and thinking Mm -hmm. about what happened to Cactus after he wasn't able to be Mankind. He came back as commissioner and GM, and he did do some on-screen talking and did very well in those roles too, so... And to this day, he's still out there, and uh, his legacy lives on, and he's hosting the WWE Hidden Treasure Show on A&E, and he's got that incredible podcast every week with Conrad Thompson, and he does personal appearances, and he's still involved in multiple charities, and still the great family man, and doing everything and staying relevant decades after he kind of called it a day. Yeah. And don't forget his cameo. He's always got to plug that cameo. I believe yes. it's Slash Real McFoley. Yeah. Those are great. 
Uh, he's actually, I think he's got the record of any sports personality uh, with money generated from Cameo. Yeah, but it's not fair because he's he's four different people. He's dude love mankind. <laughs> <laughs> he's Mick Foley and Cactus Jack. He's got all. Yeah, four he's got to divide it by four for it to be fair. <laughs> oh, what a great guy and a great follow up to the interview we did with Scholar. Yeah, fantastic. What else? What else do we got? Let's see. Uh, well, I, I always like to pull extra clips if I if I can. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you had George Ann Macropolis on. You had uh, Gary Langdon on from the mat, and they were just on plugging their um, newsletters. Their newsletters. Uh, but I think that if we're going to play one of these clips, because there's kind of almost too many, I think this time around, uh, Larry Spitz came on, and okay. I thought it was a really cool issue he had. And I wanted to play this clip because it's only a couple minutes long uh, and you're also rapidly running out of time. Uh, you only get like seven minutes to take calls mm-hmm. and you try to go through as many as you can. And I did pull that just in case we happen to have time, the full seven minutes, because it's fun to hear you rapid fire through. I love when someone comes on. So they got two questions. You say, shoot, they ask one and you hang up before you answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but this is Larry having a pretty cool issue uh, that I thought was uh, was fun to listen to. And I just like Larry. Oh, yeah. Expert of what he did. 212-477-5610. We're going to bring on uh, one of our sponsors here for a quick second, Mr. Larry Spitz from LNS. Hey, how you doing, John? How you doing, Larry? And I'd like to say hello to all the Pro Wrestling Spotlight listeners. Which are a lot of them are your customers. Many of them are. As a matter of fact, I'd like to... I have a uh, very interesting uh, situation. It seems that one new competitor decided to open up and use our name. Sort of, I guess, like a wrestling angle, you know? It's pretty funny. So there was a second LNS Comics, which you wanted to clear up, which is not affiliated with you. Yeah, we just wanted to clear it up that they are actually not affiliated with us. And actually, I wanted to also give a, a, a little plug of thanks to uh, one of my friends, Brian, out there, who actually informed me first mm-hmm. of uh, this little deviousness of these people. But I guess uh, when you want to, you know, I guess as your name builds up in the trade, People want to try and uh, jump up and take, o- you know, try and take on your name. Okay. Well, in a way, I think of it as a sincere form of flattery. However, we do protect our name, so unfortunately, I do not recommend the LNS Comics that is now opening up in another location. However, you know, feel free to, if you want to try them out. Hey, that's fine. However, they are not affiliated with LNS Comics. I just wanted to clear it up because we had so many of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight listeners. Call us up and ask us if it was a second location. Okay, when when you do have when you do have a second location, and if that, that ever will happens, what's coming actually? And, and that will be announced here at the program. Now, Larry, I just wanted to, uh, uh, you know, just uh, wanted to clear that up because uh, we don't want anyone going to the wrong LNS. That's true. And of course, this uh, you have all those Hasbro dolls are in, all the new uh, series sure, is in. Sure, the new ones are in, as well as we constantly get old ones in your old LJNs. And we got confirmation the European dolls are on their way. Great. It's been taking a while, but the uh, Galoobs are finally looking like they're about to ship. So anybody interested in the rare Europeans should give us a call soon because we're going to have full stock on that because, of course, we need it in time for the convention. Yes, the convention will be announcing those dates rapidly in the next few weeks here. Uh, okay, and, uh, of course, LNS, if you want to give Larry a call, that number is 516-489-9636. They're located at 1379 Jerusalem Avenue, exit 24 North off Southern State. Make your first left turn to LNS and stop in and pick up that free video list. Larry, listen, we got to run. Thanks for your, John, thanks for your time tonight. John, I do tonight. appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem. Okay. 
an imposter LNS comics opening up. You got to add LNS to the to the list. You got Undertaker, Diesel, Racer, Doink, and now LNS all had fake versions. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what did we come to in 1993? But uh, he was in. <laughs> Go ahead. What's interesting is the LNS stood for Larry and Steve. That's right. So what did the fake LNS say theirs was? I don't know. <laughs> Limited and special comics. <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, a controversy. And I guess he was tipped off by uh, his friend, Brian, which could have been maybe Brian from Long Beach. That's what I was wondering. I was really hoping they would say not necessarily the address, but the area. So they say, oh, if you see it out here in you know Long yeah. Beach or Jersey or whatever, it's not us. But they, But you guys both really, I think, made a point to let's not put over anything about who and where but just right. specifically focus on who we are and where we are wow. so because well, if you said long you beach know, for 100 i was on board <laughs> imitation is the purest form of flattery or whatever they say you know whatever the saying is but in this case it was somebody that was plagiarizing a well-established business that a lot of wrestling fans counted on yeah and it didn't hurt him he stayed in business for a long long time and he had such yeah. a nice demeanor about it yeah, he did. He, yeah. yeah, he didn't go wild. He didn't go crazy like I would have. No, he was like smiling and laughing. He goes, it's kind of cool. Thanks for thinking we're so successful. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you'd have lost it. Oh, I would have lost it for sure. Well, I mean, lost I guess we a lot record. less things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as is evident by everything that happened with you and Russo, there's a mm -hmm. lot of reasons. But yeah. Uh, let's go back to the morning show. And if we have time, we'll revisit the callers. But uh, it was just kind of a fun thing. And I didn't know how much time we were going to have with Ron or all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that conversation went so well that I feel fine kind of leaving some of these off for the for the patrons. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, obviously the full shows are always on Patreon.com slash John Arisi, So, yeah, I like well, to over prepare. What we got on the morning show, we did open up with a capsule with Don Liable. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there's a little bit of talk after it because Hogan was in Japan and talking about the IWGP title versus the WWF title. And uh, it was just interesting because it's something we don't hear about much nowadays. And when you hear about it, then you go, that seems like it should have been a much bigger deal long term. Yeah. Lots happening this week, a very busy news week, so let's get right to the capsule. Well, it was belt versus belt being presented, but not on the line in Japan this past Monday. World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan took part on New Japan Wrestling's mega show that drew an estimated 55,000 fans. Hogan pinned international World Grand Prix titleist the great Muta. Sting, he went to a no contest with Scott Norton as Norton... The match was stopped because he was bleeding. Jushin Thunder Liger, surprisingly, although in a non-title match, came out on the losing end to Tiger Mask. And coming out of retirement in tag team play was Antonio Inoki. The WWF ran back-to-back -back television tapings this past week. First in Worcester, Massachusetts at the Auditorium. Highlights for the Superstars show were Mr. Hughes, now managed by Harvey Whippleman, pinning Owen Hart. Several new faces from the USWA made their debut. It was the Harlem Knights receiving a tryout. Scotty Flamingo appeared as a manager called Johnny Polo, handling the chores to Atomic Bomb, who you surely are more familiar with as the Night Stalker, as of late from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Also, Bonnie Blackstone conducted live interviews and will be handling the event center assignments. 
The following night, matches taped for Wrestling Challenge in Portland, Maine. It was Mr. Hughes winning over Kamala in a King of the Ring tournament match. The Tasmaniac had his tryout, and Jerry the King Lawler debuted his interview segment, The King's Court. Now, three courts were taped with Luna Vashan, Yokozuna, and the Giant Gonzalez as guests. Another angle concerning the King was his interviewing Australian professional football player Colin Scott. Now, Scott let it be known that he wants to be a wrestler, and you guessed it, Scott and Lola ended up duking it out with each other. Well, get a tape, program your VCRs. You will definitely, most certainly not want to miss, and you want to keep a copy of next week's Flair for the Gold segment on World Championship Wrestling. Nature Boy Rick's guest will be Brian Pillman and Steve Austin. And when this tape is aired next Saturday, the blondes really will be needling Flair from everything about his age to, well, you name it, they're going to be getting on his case, so you're going to want to keep a copy of that. Also, Terry Funk was in Japan a few days back, and he survived an exploding mind match with Onita for Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Onita came away with the win. Checking out today's uh, promotional schedule, WCW is in Springfield, Illinois. The WWF has two shows booked, one in Detroit suburb of Auburn Hills, Michigan, and the other being in Indianapolis, Indiana. Over in Southampton, the IWCCW comes to the island, and like clockwork, the USWA runs in Nashville. Finally, from the scrapbooks, a dozen years ago on this date in May 1981, it was in Kansas City, Kansas, that J.J. Dillon defeated Terry Taylor. Nick Bockwinkle pinned Ivan Putski in Houston, Texas, and joined WWF action in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was King Kong Mosca pinning Dominic DiNucci. For this week in pro wrestling, I'm Don Bible reporting. Capsule time, 10-10. And, John, uh, just a couple quick notes. This past Monday... In Memphis' Mid-South Coliseum, Papa Shango won the USWA title from Jerry Lawler. SummerSlam 93 will take place August 30th in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Tickets on sale June 28th. And uh, something that you and I spoke about uh, yesterday, Hulk Hogan, after his match in Japan, referring to the WWF belt as like a Honda as compared to the IWGP belt as being the Rolls Royce and being the real world championship belt. That certainly uh, is a surprising comment from Hogan. Now, I don't know what, what's, what this guy's all about, you know. He's representing the World Wrestling Federation. And going over to a foreign country and uh, saying that the title is not really uh, the world title, you know, he should be claiming that his title is the world title. Yeah. What the hell is going on? Yeah, you always have to be true to your team, and uh, going over there, uh, maybe uh, it's the salary that he's reportedly getting that uh, he wants to keep his popularity more there or, or stir up some heat or whatever for more matches, but certainly you don't demean uh, your own title there. Well, you know, this past week on Entertainment Tonight, they did a whole feature, an inside story on Hulk Hogan uh, filming that uh, movie of the week, whatever it is, down in Florida, and uh, Hogan is like, man, I should have been, uh, I wish I was doing this 10 years ago, you know. Hmm. Uh, it was an interesting segment, and Hogan's heart lies, I, I believe, in the entertainment world. That's what he's trying to segue into. But, uh, you know, show some dignity to the title. Yeah. Wow. That would have been um, a much bigger story today, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would have been huge. I was When I was hearing that, I was like, why does this not ring a bell? Like, I know I wasn't actively... a like obviously, we talked about it just a minute ago. I wasn't that big into the to this stuff, but at a certain point, I did start digging into things. The fact that this didn't bubble up over and over again, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, disrespecting his championship 
Yeah, like while he's holding it. While he's holding like, it. It's nuts, man. He's a real uh, American. Do you think... I wish I knew more about what went wrong with his Hollywood career because it looked like he had a lot of access. He was in a bunch of things. Yeah, but the box office didn't uh, translate into a lot of dollars. I mean, he he did have a, a, a one or two marginal hits, but he also had a a shitload of clunkers that didn't make money. And no matter who you are, if you're not making money for the studios, There's you're not getting opportunity. And even then, you don't have to stop making money. Paulie Shore has been on record before saying uh, that he doesn't understand why Hollywood stopped calling him because he, none of his movies ever ever failed. He didn't have a single flop. Every single movie he ever did made much more than they put in budget-wise. So there's also a certain point where Hollywood just says, we're moving on anyways. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you get, you get in disfavor or, you know, studios talk, people talk. You know, it could be a number of things why people get like blacklisted in a way. Yeah. Cause it did seem like he was really pushing hard for I'm going Hollywood. And then yeah. he didn't go Hollywood till he turned Hollywood and WC Hollywood Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just interesting. Yes. So a name that has not come up very much, but all of a sudden had a solid like 10 minutes with you, maybe longer, was Billy Jack Haynes. Yeah. Yes. Did you have much of a relationship with him? Uh, I It was more around the time of the scandals. I mean, I didn't have a relationship with him outside of that time period, except for when he reached out and he was uh, starting a new promotion. So, of course, I said, yeah, you could come on and talk about that. I just didn't want to talk about the scandals anymore. Yeah, I, he does bring him up a little bit. So I have a clip of that, but. I also mm-hmm. felt like the way you guys talked about the scandals was a little different. It wasn't as, I don't know, I don't want to say pitchforky, but it wasn't as like, it didn't feel as scandalous. It talked about a little more in retrospect yeah. because it's I all, think we're all. We were all over it. We were all tired of it. We didn't want to talk yeah. about it anymore. It was uh, dragging the business down. It was dragging, you know, the people who were actively involved in it, you know, dragging them down. And, and Billy, of course, had his allegations and, uh, his speculation on what was happening. So he was a big part of those, uh, that feeding frenzy with the press. And it really hurt his career as well because he couldn't really get a lot of work and then uh, decides to start his own deal. Yeah. It was like rip city wrestling and they were going to run somewhere between four and eight shows a year. And he yeah. talks about that. And some of the names are the same names we've been hearing on the independent circuit that were big, like Jake, the snake and all of that. Um, yeah. But I did pull a little clip here because I thought, you know, I haven't heard much of an interview you've done with him uh, that was mm-hmm. just about him. Uh, but go ahead. We can play it. Sure. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, you're getting back into it. I know you had a real rough time last year when you were trying to get back in. And uh, that just that sad story of uh, uh, that trip that you made to the TV tapings, uh, you know, that you mentioned on our show last year. And that was just a horrendous, horrendous experience for you. Well, that's all part of business. I, uh, yeah. In 1988, I uh, broke away from the WWF, and I'm glad I did. I left a $200,000 a year job. But, uh, you know, I was becoming uh, addicted to uh, codeines, and I, I realized I was sick, and and uh, I got some help, and I'm fine now. And uh, as far as Vince McMahon goes, he wasn't offering no help to anybody. Every time there was a drug problem, he'd cover it up or fire you and deny it. 
And I think that, uh, to me, I think they've cleaned up their act a little bit, and I think this has helped wrestling overall. And uh, so maybe it was a positive this all happened. Well, it's certainly the tests uh, that have been ongoing, and uh, it, I think it certainly has helped the business uh, eliminating some of the stuff and making people more aware and making everyone kind of look behind their shoulders because you have a uh, force of wrestling journalists out there that are watching everything that's going on. And, of course, mainstream media is keeping a watchful eye as well on, uh, on the business. And uh, it, can only, it can only better the business. Uh, but uh, everything you got going out there sounds, uh, sounds great. Uh, and if there's anything we can do for you here on, on this end of it, maybe even uh, once you have your date solidified and maybe we could get a travel agent involved and uh, do a, uh, a weekend trip out there. I like that very much. And I, I want to uh, compliment you on uh, going on the Donahue show last year. Uh, I thought you'd done an excellent job. You're a stand-up guy, along with uh, Meltzer. And you tell it like it is, and that's what we're doing with our radio show, shooting from the hip and not giving no lip. And uh, I think you need to be complimented. Uh, you you put your neck on the line, really. I had uh, a few death threats out here, you know, coming out, speaking the truth. But you talk the truth, that's what happens sometimes. Uh, you step on somebody's toes. But uh, I just wanted to give you that compliment over your radio show. You're doing a great job, man. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we wish you the best of luck with your program as well. And uh, death threats, nonetheless, you're still with us, and now you're going to be. And now I think gonna, so. And now you're going to be promoting out there, which is a great thing for for all the fans. Uh, we every this business needs promoters out there doing new stuff, uh, bringing in new ideas. Uh, and um, this business will thrive and survive into the 1990s. Well, you got to you got to get back to the the hardcore wrestling. You you got to leave the cartoon crap to uh, the WWF because to me they they have ruined the business. Uh, they've drawn a lot of money. You can't argue with that. I made a lot of money with them, but uh, I think they've slapped a lot of fans in the face. And I think the fans are kind of uh, uh, they took that offensively. I've had a lot of very negative calls against the WWF and uh, more positive to the WCW, John, but. Uh, Sometimes the WCW follows that same pattern, too. I wish they'd break away from it because they've got a lot better promotion. I think I think WCW situation has been a case of no direction. Uh, they just haphazardly uh, go into a direction. They change it. They start an angle. They don't finish it. Uh, you know, I, I just... The, the two major promotions, uh, in my opinion, are two fat cats. They need they, There needs to be the young promoters getting into this business and uh, changing some ideas, some younger minds at the helm with ideas that uh, that are 1990s ideas rather than, uh, you know, stagnation, which has been uh, really been the case in the two major federations for at least this whole decade so far. Um, yeah, that's that's really, uh, you know, that's really something that, that will be done, I feel. There's a lot of young minds out there, and there's a lot of young promotions starting up, and uh, I think it's going to be good for the business overall. Now, I understand you've got a radio show you got to get to do. Are you at the studio now? No, I'm not. I'm over at my office in uh, okay. northeast Portland. Uh, I want to say one more thing, if it's sure. good, John. No problem. I think that um, all the, uh, you know, I've been wrestling uh, a dozen years now, and uh, I think the greatest fans uh, are in New York, in that eastern coast area. And I think that, uh, that your show does a lot for professional wrestling, and I think that... Uh, the fans have been slapped in the face in the past, and uh, they're not going to take it no more. And I think what you do and what, uh, uh, you know, what the other radio shows do is give the professional wrestling fan who pays the ticket for the promoter and the wrestler an insight to what's really happening in professional wrestling. I think it's mandatory. 
Yeah, well, we certainly enjoy what we do, and we love bringing information to the fans, and uh, I know you're going to enjoy yourself uh, on the air because it's an exciting thing to be able to talk to the fans every week and find out where their heads are at and what they want to see and give them a voice in this business. And believe me, the promotions, uh, you know, the two major promotions uh, may try to uh, deny our existence out there, uh, but we are here and we're here to stay. That's right, getting bigger every day. That's right. Well, listen, Billy... uh, I will speak to you later on, and um, you will have the best of luck with that new radio show and the venture out there. Okay, God bless you and everybody out there in the East Coast, man. Okay, thanks a lot, Billy. Bye-bye, brother. Okay. Do you remember hearing much about Rip City Wrestling? Did it go for a while? No, I don't remember anything about it, actually. Yeah. It could have gone, you know, could have started up and then folded but it certainly didn't catch fire by any stretch of the imagination. I hope I don't even know if he got it off the ground, to be honest with you. I'm sure some yeah. people listening to this probably do. Yeah, I'd be interested to know whatever happened with that, too, because I wonder if it just did stay that local. Like, hey, we're just doing little things yeah. consistently, but never another thing, like you said, to, to make the world talk. But I like how much he liked you. I wanted to play that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, he uh, he did have a respect, and uh, it was a mutual respect, and just seemed like a really nice guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was a I got a nice vibe off of him, you know. Uh, he also, I think, was taking responsibility for his health having mm-hmm. been a problem. Like he's like, you know, yeah. that was me, and I had to focus on it. So it wasn't isolated, that's for sure. Back then, a lot of people had it. Yeah. Uh, I got two more clips that we're looking at for this one. Uh, just two callers back to back. Mr. Brian from Long Beach and James from Lindenhurst, both talking about Flair. So I thought this was kind of an interesting time frame on Flair. And then uh, uh, the outro made me laugh. So I have that too. But Yeah, Brian, uh, which is Brian Last. Yes, this is Brian Last from Long Beach. His voice has changed since then. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Let's listen to Brian last okay. from 30 years ago. Let's get to the phone. 661-1440 is the number to call, and we'll go to Brian from Long Beach. Yeah, how's it going, John? Hi, Brian. I have um one thing to say. I want to know what's up with Flair. The Nature Boy. Yeah, because I was in the arena club last week, um, the WWS card. I'm online to see um, Smoking Guns, and they turned on TPS. Yeah. And I got to see the first Flair for the gold. And honestly, everybody in the place is booing. Were they really? Yeah, they just didn't like Flair for the gold with going on with them wow um that's really a surprise because i thought that segment myself was a pretty pretty hot segment that they did last week uh but he will be wrestling in june he'll be taking on barry windham i guess for the nwa title well is he going to be a face or a heel uh he will be a face he will yes oh that's life okay thanks a lot okay 661 1440 rick flair is a baby face or a heel as a uh corruptive individual or a saint he's still one of the best in the business and it will be for at least another few years flair's got some good years left number to call here is 661-1440 and don't forget tonight on uh, pro wrestling spotlight 10:50 a.m webd at 11 o'clock we have uh, cactus jack on with us in a very very subdued cactus that i spoke to uh, this week he will not be taking calls tonight but he does want to talk to the fans we've gotten a ton of letters for him get well wishes and cactus does want to address uh, the folks who have been sending these cards and letters to him 
and address the wrestling fans and let them know uh, how he is doing and what the situation is. 661-1440 line is open right now. Give us a call. Uh, you could get through if you try dialing at this very second. And uh, also, uh, tonight we may try to get on Mr. Terry Funk. Uh, Terry, of course, competed in that uh, explosive uh, mine match in Japan this past week. Uh, Terry was uh, saved from being totally blown up, but there were several explosions inside the ring. We'll go to James from Lindenhurst. James, you're, you're next. Hi, John. How are you? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, concur what Brian said before. I was at the Arena Club, too, and, uh, you know, I actually found myself doing Rick Flair. It's, it's, really? You know, I mean, he's turning to Tommy Rich. He's trying to live off of 1986. If he doesn't get anything done now, I mean, he really can't be trying to live off a reputation from years back. I mean. Yeah, and that's, that's real true. He's got it. You know, the fans are getting impatient. He's been back there for several months now, and he should be back in the ring. Uh, you will see him back in the ring. I don't know if they were just doing this to try to add uh, some suspense and heat to his eventual return, uh, but the fans are getting pretty impatient. Yeah, I mean, isn't this what Vince McMahon kind of offered him uh, back at the uh, end of his WWS stand? He said, we'll make you a suit instead of uh, a wrestler, and he said, no, I can't do that, and now uh, he ends up uh, being pretty much that for four months now in WCW. Well... Uh, and you're going to see, you're going to eventually see this, okay? Uh, I know that he'll take on Wyndham for that title uh, and probably win it. You'll see him down the road, probably by the end of the year, try to have a unification match with Vader. So I think you'll see some good Ric Flair wrestling. Just a matter now of getting him back in the ring so the fans can appreciate him once again. Yeah, what's with Hulk Hogan? I mean, uh, he wants the McMahon to give him the uh, the title before the day of WrestleMania, and he gets it, and then he uh, glorifies the IWGP belt. I mean, what's the deal with that? Well, I don't know. That's a, that's a question that someone should ask Hogan, you know. What the hell is going on with him? Why is he doing this? I'm sure that it didn't make uh, Vince McMahon very happy when he went ahead, went ahead and trashed the WWF title. That's not right. Spoiled company champions. That's right. All right, thanks a lot, John. In other words, what you call him is a prima donna. Prima donna. Gets everything he wants, you know. Sitting here, James is uh, sitting here. and James, you get just getting off from work, right? Yes, I am. First stop on a Saturday is right here. That's right. Had a few videotapes I was supposed to give you, but I didn't bring them. Forgot as usual. Forgot. It's been a rough week. A couple weeks here. Six six one fourteen forty is the number to call. And um... yep, James from Seaford. <laughs> a lot of regular trips during this era. Yeah, there was, wasn't there? Yeah, he was coming through a lot, a lot. I like I like the weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how he walked in and you're like, I forgot the tapes. <laughs> yeah. Should have made him the co host, right? Yeah. Just pop him down. Be like, I don't have a t te- I don't I don't have the tapes, but come take a few calls. Or if you fast forward to present day where, you know, marijuana is now legal for recreational purposes in New York, I could have actually promoted it on the show if I was still doing a show in New York and Maybe even created a little cottage business. Yeah. <laughs> it would have paid for itself. Yeah, it certainly would have. I wouldn't have to worry about uh, brokering anymore, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, they only give licenses out to people. Uh, they only give licenses out in New York to people who have been convicted of, of a marijuana crime. So those are the people who are allowed to open the dispensaries up in New York. Well. <laughs> I guess that's sort of like getting a license, right? Well, Man- Manhattan's really? a different story. Manhattan's a different story because there's like almost like like ice cream trucks that are just peddling marijuana throughout the streets of Manhattan, and you know, police can't do anything about it. They've sprung up everywhere. So, uh, 
It's wow. almost like on every street corner you could go and, and buy your weed. It's legal, but these places don't have licenses, so it's creating quite the havoc up there, among so many other things at this period. But then it's time. self-serving, right? If you get arrested, then you get your license. There you go, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to get arrested so I can expand into a brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's chaotic up there. I mean, the laws, the politics, everything that they do, it's uh, crazy. I'm glad I live in the state of Tennessee, to be honest with you. You know, yeah. New York is my home uh, and my family's there and the Mets are there, but it's a little chaotic. It's a little chaotic. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We had a couple more calls come through uh, that Adam from Leventown was asking what was going on with the lightning kid. Cause he's being shown as a jobber and uh, you guys mm -hmm. both agreed that he was so much better than what they were showing him. But you then break it down and say that you heard that they plan to have him lose a lot oh. and catch a surprise victory over a middle guard guy, someone in the mid card. So he could be kind of an underdog and get over that way. He says, do you think it'll work? And you say, I don't know. I yeah. don't think they, so, yeah, I do. Him. I do remember that when I uploaded the show I was like, wow, this was so, prolific saying you know what a you know this is exactly what happened and i'm Except wondering who i heard it from did i hear from sean maybe have. maybe you called him and said hey i what's going on man it sucks for you and he mm -hmm. goes oh no trust me but i don't yeah. know that i mean razor wasn't a middle guy at that time was he no razor he was, was near, near the top he was a, he was yeah. a b he was a b level he wasn't c level I mean, he wasn't uh, in main events all the time, but he certainly was one of the top guys uh, up yeah. there. So I bet you they just didn't know it was going to be Razor at the time, and yeah. that was their plan. And then Razor being who he is and saying, "No, it's going to be me." Like, mm -hmm. if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right for this guy. Like, that's cool. And they did it right. Yeah. Uh, you talk about how you got a ton of negative mail after having Paulie on the show the other week because he was hanging up on people and being abrasive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh. Steve from West Hampstead asks if they're going to take any action against Vader after everything happened with Mick. Mm -hmm. And you say, not that you are aware of, but if someone told him to lighten up, that would be something you wouldn't know about. Uh, they also ask about the Power Twins. They, they had the WCW tryout, WWF tried out, like that everyone seems to be passing. So. Well, they, they failed their tryout with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they've been banished, never to yeah. return, unless they get computers high-speed internet wi-fi and i don't think that's going to happen so we could bid farewell to the twins yeah most likely yeah uh, let's see but you can find them on social media uh always commenting on every sunny beach post by calling them a uh you know i'm not even going to repeat it but they always have like these enormous uh, people eating food and saying that Sunny Beach is at the buffet again. That's all they do to this guy. Every post that he makes. That's funny. Oh, Don from Sayville. Zay Remember how we couldn't figure out you'd missed the tape from the morning show? Yep. The previous week. Mm -hmm. Don from Zayville calls in and says, real stunt you pulled last week putting on a tape of all the Cactus Jack stuff. He goes, I thought that was live for a minute until some of the stuff started coming on. Like it was all you did a best of Cactus. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. You did like every call in and in, in, in studio thing. Actus. Ah, I would have liked to have that tape now because I would have put that, we would have put that up for patrons, but alas, never to be found. I mean, you still have all the original stuff from the old episodes. Oh, just yeah. Files. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Well, that uh, answered that question though, because that was a mysterious. Uh, what happened to that tape, and what yeah. was it? And now we know. Thank you, Don from Sayville. Thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> Best cactus. <laughs> uh, he also asked you who are the smoking guns, and you you don't know. Were mm-hmm. were Billy and Bart not? Was that kind of their first thing? Did they not appear other places first? I just probably wasn't paying attention. Hmm. Which I should have been, but they didn't, you know, they didn't rock my boat. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. I wasn't into the cartoon gimmicks and the cowboys and Indians and, you know, mm-hmm. everything else yeah. that was going on with every gimmick that they had in that era in the WWF. That's true. Uh, and you've been vocal about that on the show, too. <laughs> you did say that on the Raw episode, Captain Lou looked like he lost a lot of weight. And you mentioned that Vince, Vince looks really big, and you say it must be all that Ico Pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I enjoy you had a hard time getting all the callers for this one, which is kind of funny because in the next one you had too many callers. Yeah. But your outro on this made me laugh. It was the last two minutes of the show or so. Okay. And you're waiting for someone to call in. And to me, I just like it. It's just good radio. Let's hear it. Want to take one more call? One more call. 661-1440. Dial up right now and, and try to get through. Where's the Jeopardy music? Do we have any of that Jeopardy music? 661-1440. Still no call. <clears throat> Too late now. All right. That's it. Our listeners are all finished. Our 10 listeners are now up. Oh, there we go. I tell you, the, the sh- they hung up. They're just teasing us. It's like that uh, It's like that date that I didn't have this week. Last Saturday night, I went to the China Club. I'm going to finish this with a, finish the show with a sad story. Wait, before you do that, what, we have 10 listeners and they all call and that's it? I know. What's the problem here? So maybe I'll leave that story for next week because if I think about it, I'll, I'll be crying again. How many minutes we got, Tom? One. Anyway, Bruce, we went out to China Club last week. You remember that? Bruce is answering the phone in here. Uh, Met a beautiful girl, James. She was a 10. She was selling roses in the place. She came up to our table and said, uh, uh, would you gentlemen like to have a rose? I was out with Dave Meltzer, who was here also. I said, well, I'll buy a rose if you go out with me Monday night. And lo and behold, she agreed to the date. And what happened? I was stood up. Very sad. Go back to Regatta. <sighs> Sad story. Anyway, that's why I can't talk no more today. I've, uh, <laughs> time to cut it, Tom. Is that what you're saying? Wrap it up? What does that mean? Half a minute? Huh? 30 seconds. So that's like a half a minute sign than this. Tom Ross, our engineer here today. Bruce Jacobs, our producer. Uh, we're going to wrap it up tonight. Don't forget Pro Wrestling Spotlight at 11 p.m. on WEVD, 1050 on the dial. And uh, we'll have Cactus Jack on tonight, hopefully Terry Funk. And, of course, next week we will return right here and talk more wrestling. Until then, this is John Aracy. We'll talk to you tonight, everybody. Wow, what a sad story. It's a sad story, a lot of dead air. Yeah. I was probably still reeling from being stood up by the girl who was selling roses. Like, what kind of idiot was I? Like, what's, you know, here I am, like 350 pounds, and there's probably some... Very attractive young woman wanted to sell a rose. I probably bought one, and it wasn't catfished. I guess it was just a, I was just stood up. Yeah, 
you're out with the guys probably trying to yeah pick up girls know, pick up girls hey oh, i'll be slick with this one oh, i'll buy one if you know and yeah well, i'm still single <laughs> but i've stopped looking i've stopped yeah. looking you know well once and they you stopped selling those roses you, once you get past uh 60 uh everything just starts going you know it's over let's put it that way it's over i'm sure her rose business didn't take off so jokes on her yeah yeah that's right where is she today <laughs> Probably 400 pounds somewhere living in a who knows what. Or it's probably like, I mean, it's it's New York. She probably won an Oscar five years later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good one today, (laughs) Marsh. Imagine. It was a good good show. uh, You know, a little backwards. We did the morning show last and the evening show first because uh, Mr. Scholar was gracious enough to join us with his presence. And that's. Always fun. I got something cool kind of happened. Um, you know, I don't know about analytics and, you know, when when social media companies kind of praise you uh, mm-hmm. on uh, my Matt Memories public page on Facebook. Uh, we were uh, we were anointed rising creator for journalism. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of cool. I guess they look at the analytics and. You know, we've had uh, on posts over the last couple of weeks, we had uh, over 15,000 likes on our posts. Dang. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool, right? That's really cool. I think people are starting to really dig the, the shout outs and stuff. And I mean, and unfortunately, some of it's coming up because people are passing and stuff. But yeah, it does mean yeah. that people are looking and they're finding you and going, oh, wait, there's a lot here. Yeah, we're getting a uh, you know a lot of engagement and uh, you know that Captain Lou Albano thing. That thing just kind of like that bloody shot of him just all of a sudden went viral and on Facebook, and it's still like crazy. And of People course, you know when you yeah yeah. Uh, but I really appreciate everybody that's uh, checking uh, the social media pages out, and it will continue to keep posting uh, some really cool content for everybody as we do on this show, Marsh. I mean, every week is a new adventure, isn't it? Absolutely. That's what is so fun about it. When you upload a new tape for me to listen to, I'm all like, what are we going to find? Because there's going to be gems. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I'm the same way because it's like it's new to me after 30 years. You ever tape one and then before you upload it, almost get like excited for me to dig into it? Yes. Oh, he's going to get a kick out of this one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because now that you know, you know, you know, you're familiar with some of the regular callers um you know obviously each week is kind of a new little treasure chest you open it up and you see what's in it It could be some golden nuggets or it could be some coal or it could be just some shit but you know (laughs) (laughs) which are their own nuggets in their own way when you have a really bad spot shit nuggets yeah but anyway, you've been keeping busy, uh, you know, you know, with the unfortunate passing of Billy Graham. We got that, that special to do. Uh, we talked about the reunion show and I'll put up a poll. I'll put up a poll and we'll figure it out what we're going to do with that uh, uh, over. What was it? An hour and a half of just. I think it was an hour. Ten. Agita is what they say in Italian. It's agita which means it's indigestion that leads to acid reflux. 
So I got Ajita from that show. Well, you described it very well when you said it was just it was it was funny until it stopped being funny, and then it just became right. a mess. <laughs> a mess, annoying, infuriating. Yeah, because you have two guys that weren't even weren't even weren't even listening to you. They were just talking amongst themselves. And Broadway Sonny Blaze trying to, you know, say, oh, it's so great to see you. And he was being really nice. And Donnie's just cracking up. I mean, yeah. Donnie just starts laughing multiple times. And, and we yeah. did get Donnie on camera, too, on that one, which was kind of cool. Yeah, that was cool. You know, I like how, how proper he was. But, yeah. And then, you know, it was crazy. And, and I don't know if you did this on purpose or whatever, but was like towards the end, it was like Donnie was talking about something. And then me and Sonny Blaze started burying him about his call. And I was like, Donnie's sitting there probably after 30 years saying, you know, look at what well, I just thought it would have been a funny thing. You know what they did too in one of the old episodes? I didn't even pull the clip on it. A caller calls in and goes, uh, uh, it was Don from Huntsville or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh he goes, this is, you say, all right, caller, you're on. And he goes like, this is Don. I didn't get the issue of Pro, of Pro Wrestling Observer this week. So that's the end of the capsule. Time, whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> and then you start laughing. You're like, like I was making fun of Donnie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's such a great guy, man. And uh, anyway, I mean, it's uh, it's always fun. I mean, and, and, and it's really remarkable that you are in touch with people from all these years ago. And Donnie goes about 50 years. Al goes back. Sonny Blaze goes back 30 plus, 35 years close to it. Uh, so anyway, it's just kind of cool to keep in touch with everybody after all these years. you know. And even Scholar. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. For me, it's cool because, hey, it may not have turned out into a show that's like usable, but it was kind of a fun time for an hour to... For me to to watch a, a a bit of a reunion happen, anyways, you know, we'll figure it out somehow. Yeah. We're not going to try it again with them guys and in, in Vegas, the twins. Uh, but you know, we'll see what we could salvage if it's uh, best. To, some clips, some fucking bloopers, whatever it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be. Yeah. We'll figure it out another time when you get back home. Mm. Yeah, I don't want you to think about it for the next week until you're home safe. Well, because you know you don't need the agita. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need that bubbling up again. Yeah. Well, Marsh, always a pleasure. Great one today. Appreciate it. Hope uh, your family's great out there in California and everything's going good. And um, and uh, we certainly appreciate you very much. Yeah, it's been really good. I taught my uh, grandma how to download an app for Domino's and then had her order oh. loaded tots on her own. It was. Was it good? Did she feel really great about that? Like it was like, wow, now I could order from Domino's. She couldn't believe the stuff that was doing it because I was like showing her how to do the fields, and then I just thought I would show her that you can dictate into the phone too. Yeah, she was all like wowed by it. You know how old? How old's your grandma? Eighty-two, eighty-three. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, it to was get, fantastic. To get into technology at that age. That's she never had to. Good. She never had to before because that was grandpa's thing. And yeah, he was an old military man. So everything was watching and listening. So he was very like, we don't need, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, right. Uh, right. Well, really cool. Generations, man. Generations. All right, my friend. Uh, always good to see you. 
and uh, everybody else, that's going to be about, uh, I'm going to talk like an Italian. Now. Hey, uh, that's going to about wrap it up for today. Uh, please, uh, for those of you who'd like to join our Patreon page, I really highly recommend it. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi, and you will be satisfied with all the content that's there and more content being released every single week. Uh, I want to also let you know if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, it's simply at John Arezzi, and on Facebook. I talked about our public page. Just look for John Arezzi's Map Memories as a private group there as well. You got to answer a couple of simple questions. If you're a wrestling fan, they'd be easy for you to answer. And we have our Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast and radio show private group on Facebook as well. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel because all of these shows are up there on video. And, and especially for this one, I mean, Marsh has found that main event at Triple Mania 1. So we'll be inserting that into the show as well. Uh, I want to remind you that our next episode of Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden will be coming out in about a week. We'll be talking about the uh, June, I think it's June 4th, 1973 show at Madison Square Garden. And we're going to bring on a special guest on uh, the Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, Carrie Silken, who is a Ring of Honor uh, owner. And uh, Carrie used to go to all those matches back then, so we figured we'd bring him on to talk about Madison Square Garden wrestling from 50 years ago. So look for that one. Uh, that is uh, available anywhere you get your podcast. That's called Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. It is uh, co-hosted by Tim Putre, and it's written and researched by Richie Garcia. And a lot of the information we get, I, I rarely give this book a plug, but go to crowbarpress.com. Scott Teal has a number of great wrestling books there. And the Bible that I use, it's called Wrestling in the Garden. It has every single house show that took place at Madison Square Garden and it's pretty comprehensive. I mean, right from the early 1900s, and it has every single show and all the results and stories uh, right up through uh, 2016. So uh, it's a really good book, crowbarpress.com, Wrestling in the Garden by Scott Teal. I want to thank our executive producers from Patreon, Mr. Anthony Pyrus, Mr. Joe Holloway, and I also want to thank every single one of the patrons for your support, helping with the production costs for this show. Until next week, when we relive more history with you, this is John Arezzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.